You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. It is, uh, it is good to be in your presence. It's good to sit at your feet. good to be children of God and to have that settling in our soul and that that peace that surpasses understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds. It is good to be like, wow, it's well with my soul. In a world that is so unsettled, It's great to have you, like, settle our soul. In a world that's so confused and lost, it's great to be found, to be owned. In a world that is searching for its identity in so many things that are empty and futile, it is is great to settle in to this amazing identity that you've given us. We are in Christ. Holy Spirit, we would ask that you uh, continue to speak to us. We just, man, we just lay ourselves before you. Just speak to us. We need direction, we need encouragement, we need strength, we need exhortation, we need hope, we need help. That's why we're here. And we're we're not looking to any other human being in this room. You are our present help in time of need. And so just, Jesus, continue to win over our hearts. Man, may this be just a special time in your word and in our time with you. And anyone here online that doesn't know you, we just pray that would get completely, (laughs) win them over. Bring salvation this morning where that is needed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Why don't you turn around and say hello to a couple of people around next to you? Happy summer to all you mommies. Mentoring Moms Beach Day is coming up Friday, August 26th. We will be gathering down in Newport at Marina Park, 930. We will be continuing our studies in Hannah Knows Best. See you there. Hi, Calvary La Habra. Just a reminder that our next surf camp will be on August 27th at 8 a.m. If you haven't already signed up, the cost is $10 a session. For more info, visit our website or church app. We'll see you there. 
Hi, Calvary La Habra. We'd like to invite you to join us for our Labor Day potluck picnic on Sunday, September 4th, following second service in our church parking lot. Bring your favorite potluck dish and join us as we celebrate Labor Day with family, friends, and games for all. We'll see you there. Once again, it is time for another men's steak and study. We will be smoking our gourmet burgers. Our guest speaker will be USC alumni and former NFL quarterback Vince Evans. So come on out and join us for a time of food, fellowship, and a special message. The cost will be $15. We want to encourage you as well to invite someone new. Your guest will be free. Sign up at the Resource Center, on the church app, or on our website. Yes. Uh, before we start our study, I wanted to pray for uh, the Campo family that live behind us. Uh, their son, 17-year-old Chris, who grew up around our church and has ran all around our property with his brothers, Kevin and little Poncho. Uh, Friday on his way home from school, uh, some people pulled up next to him and shot him and took his life. Um, and so I wanted to pray for their family. And uh, I want to let you know, Chris uh, came around here. You know, I remember the early days with him. Uh, he was learning how to skate. Um, he didn't listen very well. Uh, he, 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 was a, he was a little bit of a troublemaker. And, and then we, we just became friends. And he started to attend junior high and our high school and all that. And went on um, some camps. And he went with Dave to a camp in, in Missouri. And... And Chris gave his life to Jesus, and we saw that change, and um, we've walked, you know, with the family for a number of years through other things, but um, this is rocking our staff and, and our, our city. It happened right up the street, um, and um, La Habra High School, and uh, so we're, 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 the Lord has opened some doors, and we're ministering, but it's a very uh, difficult, uh, challenging time, so would you just... Unite faith with me and pray. Lord, we, we thank you for the opportunity of being the body of Christ and, and uniting our faith in, um, man, just uncertain times and very uh, difficult uh, circumstances. And uh, now we love Chris and we miss him and we are, our, our hearts are just broken over this a horrific tragedy, this senseless act, and um, we, we just pray for his, his brothers, sisters, and his, his parents, his family, Lord, that you would bring them, them comfort. They're in shock, and they're trying to process all of this, and um, our, our community as well, we know, and our city leaders, and police department, and all, um, really, we need wisdom, and we need uh, direction um, as a city. Um, but we pray as a church that you would, you would comfort us that um, know the family and know Chris, and you would use us to whatever uh, capacity, whatever doors you would open up uh, for us. Um, and we pray you would use this to lead a lot of people to you, Jesus. And uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, let's turn our Bibles over to Acts chapter... 22, 
Paul the Apostle in, um, in Romans chapter 9, he was talking about his, his heaviness, his, his heart for his own countrymen, for the Jews. And he, and he said something that really shows the degree of like where he went with that burden. And he says it, and I quote in verse 3, I, I, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brother and my countrymen according to the flesh. And so he's like, I know this could never happen, but I so love my countrymen. I so love my Jewish friends, my brothers and sisters, that if, if I could like give up my salvation for the sake of their salvation, I would do that. And he's like, it's according to the flesh. I know that that isn't how it works, but that's just the heart that he had for them. This is important. As Paul has ministered, finishing up his third missionary journey, those four years, a lot of that was focused on non-Jews, on Gentiles, but along the way, he never gave up on his countrymen. Every city, for the most part, he went into would find a synagogue. There were a lot of Jews and even leaders of synagogues that were converted as a result of, of Paul's ministry. He never lost a heart for, like, I'm going to so write those guys off because they're just being jerks to me. He never really got there. He just had this burden. And so when he comes back to Jerusalem at the end of that fourth missionary journey in chapter 21, and he, he shows up and he's telling the elders all the great things that God has been doing amongst the Gentiles, they celebrate that, but then they also give the warning. They're like, okay, you also remember that, uh, or you need to know that there's some really zealous believers in the church, but they're zealous for the law still, and, and they're going to hear that you've come back into the city of Jerusalem, and they're going to gather together, and, and there's a lot of people that are saying some things about you that you're, you're running around as you're traveling around your missions trips, and you're telling our own countrymen, that the traditions are no longer important and they no longer need to be circumcising their kids and these kind of things. And they're up in arms over this. And so we're going to ask you, Paul, if you would just make a compromise here, not on truth, but on principle. We really see you have a heart to win them. And we know you'll do whatever it takes. As we learned last week, he would, to a Jew, he would become a Jew. To the non-Jew, to those who don't keep the law, I'll become that. I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do in order to win people over to Christ. But this is his heart. And then we, we, we saw that as he was there, they're like, well, there's these, these guys, and they're going to be taking a vow. They're Jewish young men. They're going to go into the temple, and we would like you to sponsor them, basically, you know, and, and, and take the vow with them, pay for them and whatnot. And then at the end of the, the, the vow, the Nazarite vow, part of the Nazarite vow, you know, they would go to the temple, and Paul was there on the day of purification with them. And, and these very legalistic Jews from Asia came there and saw Paul on there. And you remember we read about how worked up they got and started screaming, here's the guy right in the temple. It'd be like someone here standing up and calling out someone in this room. It wouldn't go over very well, so don't do that. But that's, that's kind of the thing that was going on. And Paul's like, hey, hey, what's going on here? You know, these guys are yelling at me. They're screaming at me. And, and, and the next thing you know, they grab him. And they drag him outside of the, the temple area there. And the word begins to spread around Jerusalem. And, and crowds begin to gather. And, and up on the Temple Mount, we, we saw the Antonio Fortress. There's a commander. And he had a couple of centurions, which means probably a couple of hundred guys came out to like 
squelched this mob that was losing their mind. And, 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 and there was some dialogue there. He was trying to understand what was going on. That wasn't working. So he pulls them back away from the temple up to the Antonio Fortress. And he's trying to find out, you know, Paul's now bound. And, and he's like, what is it? And who are you? And, and Paul began to talk a little bit about just that, hey, 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 hey. You know, I, uh, he realized he spoke Greek. And he, he wanted to address all of those Jews that were there in his own language. And, and he's about to do that. But before we get into this, I just want you to think of how unfair and how unjust and how you've got to be kidding me. This could have come across as Paul was being drugged and, and beaten. And just how, like, you've got to be kidding me. I've got this heart for these people. I, I love them. I love them enough to leave all and just allow the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me and direct me since the day that Jesus converted me. And we talked about Paul's ministry would probably span 24 or 25 years. And he's already traveled over 10,000 miles. And and he's, he's planted all these churches, and, 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 and here he is, and he's even doing what he believes is best as a compromise to, like, let God use him. And he's being hammered. And I say that because this is not the end for Paul. I say that because in a physical sense, it might be a low moment. You're like, well, yeah, it's... It's never good when you're being drugged out of church and just beaten by the very people you're trying to reach. It's not a good thing, but it, it's something that God wanted us to observe about his life. It was something that we can draw rich application for us today. In that sense, we are prayerfully, we love our, our country, we love our countrymen. Amen? Can I hear an amen? That was very weak, but, but maybe by the end of this, we'll... we'll um, let's start this way. Do you believe that God loves America? Amen. Do you believe that God has a heart for America? Amen. Okay, if you have God's heart, you love Americans. Okay? And you should have his heart for them. And, and, and the, 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 the correlation might be this. We look around and we're like, wow, there's, there seems to be a growing hostility um, towards my beliefs and towards what decisions I've made, and towards what I believe is best for my own marriage and my family. And, and as the church, there seems to be growing hostility against this. We know at this particular point in time in, in, in church history that the second wave of Nero's persecution against the church is about to be unleashed. It's going to get crazy. And so I lay this out because I want us just to consider in these next few verses... What is it that, that Paul said? What was it that Paul did? What can we extrapolate? What can we learn from this experience in order to apply to our own life in a very hostile, oppo opposing world? Because Paul, this is not the end. God continues to use him. He's going to use him even here in the midst of this horrific situation. And he's going to continue to use him. He's going to actually make it to Rome. And and, and there's going to be other, other difficult days for Paul. I was going through chapter 22. It's just an exercise reading it over. And I looked at it. How many, this would be a good exercise for all of you. What was Paul's focal point? Now we're going to learn it. But if you go home and do this. What was Paul's focal point in chapter 22? 
and just do this. Take a yellow highlighter and, and mess up your Bible with a yellow highlighter. God loves that. And just every time he references God in this very crazy, even chapter 21 or chapter, just highlight it. Just highlight it. And then maybe in a couple of days, just go back and read all of those like highlighted spaces in your Bible. And remember again what he's going through. We stopped last week as Paul was about to address the crowd here in chapter 22. So verse 1, follow with me if you will. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Now, amongst the Hebrews, Aramaic was more of the the common language. If you just went out and about, walking up and down the streets and whatnot, you, you would have spoke Aramaic. Hebrew, in that sense, was, um, it remained the language of, the, of, the, of the, the religious folks and the hierarchy, the religious government and whatnot, um, and, and even the upper class. Jesus and his disciples would have spoke Aramaic, and, and, and Aramaic um, that language, there's a translation of that even in circulation, uh, the Old Testament that is, in those days um, called the Targumas. But Jesus spoke Aramaic because he wanted to relate to the common folk. He wanted to communicate with them. If he had spoken Hebrew, only the rabbis and the, the upper class would have really grasped what he was saying. And so Paul here looks at these crowds that are gathering around the Antonio Fortress. He's up on the stairs. He's been bound. There's, there's, there's Roman soldiers all around him, protecting him and whatnot. And he said in verse 3, listen, I, I am indeed a Jew. So it's very important as he starts this, this conversation, as there's this opportunity afforded to him. This is a God-ordained moment. God is going to use Paul in this very, very dire situation. There's a lot of wisdom here. He says, like, I'm just, I'm just like, like you guys. I'm, I, I'm, I'm indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicily, or Sicilia, Cilicia, excuse me, but brought up here. I, I've been brought up here in, in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, which was one of the more famous rabbis in that era, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are today. And so... He, he doesn't make it about the injustice. He doesn't make it about how you've got to be kidding me. He doesn't get, because they're all fleshed out and, and like getting crazy and getting all angry and, and losing their mind. He doesn't match that. He doesn't go there. He's gathered. That's a good word these days, people. He's gathered. One amen would be okay? Okay. He's gathered. Are there times when you've maybe had a conversation or two with people in the last couple of years where you weren't gathered? Your thoughts weren't gathered? He's gathered his thoughts. And what comes out of him is, is, is he's identifying with them. His heart for them. His heart for them to know Jesus who has, has like saved him. He's conquered by that. And it shows as these people are like, you know, if someone comes up and like draws their fists at me, what, 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 what's going to come out of me? 
I, 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 I am a sincere friend of this nation. I've, I've learned the law just like you guys. I, I get that from the, from the best of us. Gamaliel, you guys know that? Paul lists all of his Jewish credentials. I'm a Jew. I'm a native of Tarsus, brought up in Jerusalem, trained by Gamaliel, follower of the law. And then that I'm a, I was a zealous persecutor, excuse me, of the church. And then he's like, and, and I was a representative of the Sanhedrin. How could his countrymen not respectfully listen to a man you know, with that kind of record. And so instead of accusing them of, of starting this riot and participating in this riot, he wisely, you know, commended them for being zealous towards God. And, and I was zealous towards God just like you guys. A lot of wisdom. He admitted that he too had been guilty of having people arrested. And bound, just like he was, even killed. The Christian faith, as he refers to it here as the way, it's a title used for the church. Acts 9, Acts 19, um, Acts 24. And he's like, I understood your resentment towards anything that threatens Judaism, is the idea in verse 4 and 5. I persecuted this way. To death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, and, and as also the high priest bears witness of me. So he gives that, that as soon as they would have heard that, they went, wait a minute. This guy's like been commissioned to go do something by the, the high priest, and he walks through what that was. Yeah, I, I got letters from him that even allowed me to go as I was persecuting the church as far as to Damascus and bring back these people in chains that, that were opposing Judaism, these, these followers of Christ. Paul, of course, had the support of all of the council of the elders. He had all of the, the support that he would need. Remember back in Acts chapter 9, the high priest and, and the Sanhedrin sent Paul to Damascus and armed him with all of those letters, endorsing him to go and persecute the church. And so Paul is bringing this up for a couple of reasons. Number one, he, he's showing that he's not anti-Semitic, as he's been falsely accused of being. And number two, he's wanting to show them, which is important. Everyone has a testimony. He wanted, he's wanting to show them who he was so they could understand in contrast who he is. His determination was so deep that only a, a, a radically supernatural transformation could have changed his viewpoint. That's what he begins to talk about next. And as he does, just keep in mind that they would have been most interested at this point in Paul's defense. The moment that he began to, to talk about it, at one point in my life, man, that was all about official business, the Sanhedrin and whatnot, they would have been all ears. They had no idea where Paul was going as he turns the conversation towards his conversion. But this is about 
that. And that's the full focus point is he wants them to understand who Jesus is. And he's going to talk about who he is by virtue of saying what he has done in my life and transforming my life. So it, in verse 6, he says, It happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus around noon that suddenly a, a great light from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and, and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I'm, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. I had a, you know, an entourage of guys with me. They were afraid as well when they saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told things which are appointed for you to do. Now, in the book of Acts, this is important, we have the account of Paul's conversion given to us three times. Whenever we have something in Scripture three times, we've got to say, well, this must be pretty important. God must really want us to understand this. He wants us to know this is a, a significant event. It's, it's pinned down over and over three times in the, the timeless love letter to his creation. God would look over the span of time, and I'm sure he would be like, you know... <laughs> There's going to be a lot of men that are going to come along and they're going to, they're going to form different views as to who I am. They're going to you know, form different views as to what redemption is. Um, they're going to have different views as to what salvation is, what a man must do in order to be saved. A different view on my part, a different view on, 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 on their part. So I'm going to give them a very detailed account of one of the most popular, famous Conversions. I'm going to take the one guy in the New Testament that everybody goes, no, 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 there's no way that guy could ever be saved. I'm going to save him. And I'm going to do it in such a way where it's undeniable that it was me. And I'm going to, I'm going to have that repeated a couple of more times. Not just the original account, but I'm going to like, this is going to go over a couple more times. So people are like, God really wants us to get this through our heads. This is important. So God looks at this man wreaking havoc on the church. And he's like, I'll choose that man. And I'll transform his life to where I can use him to expand the church. No longer limiting the advancement of the church. I'm going to completely alter his life and make him like the leading spokesman of the church. I'm going, to, I'm going to use him to expand and develop and plant churches all around the Roman Empire. So at midday, this event happens, and I just want you to know, and we can't miss this as we're looking at this. Paul's, he's just giving his testimony, but he's like, look at what, what God did. Look at the initiation of God. He showed up. Jesus revealed himself to me. From Saul's account in Acts 26, we'll see it again where Paul is sharing his personal testimony with Agrippa. We learn that Paul and all of his companions, of course, fall to the ground. And up until this point, the last person to have seen the resurrected, you know, glorified Christ was really Stephen. And what a testimony to the power of God's grace that the man involved 
in Stephen's death, which was Paul, would be the next to see Jesus. And so God initiates. This is important for us even as we're, we're thinking about sharing our testimony. Prayerfully, if we were to write down our testimony, there would be a lot of places that we could pull out a yellow highlighter and, and, and circle and say, God did this, and then God did that, and we would be giving glory to God. And how many of you guys know that salvation begins with him? John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In, in Paul's writing to Titus, he would talk about, you know, previously, Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, we were foolish ourselves, we were disobedient, deceived and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures and spending our life in malice and envy and, and, and hateful and hating one another. But then it says, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. It is really important to put the spotlight on God when we're giving our testimony. Oftentimes we hear people's testimony and the spotlight is on them. It's almost like they glamorize all these things they were and they did before Christ. And you're like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. And then what happened? Then we're going to talk about like what they did in the like whole conversion process. And it, the spotlight is on them. Not a wise thing to do. You and I will never save anybody. So the, the, the quicker we get around to like pointing them to the one that does, the better. Amen. And so Paul just had this about him. He had no problem talking about who he was. And then he had no problem saying, but. And then put the, the spotlight on God, his Savior, and what he did. If you know people that are hardened to the gospel, understand that it's a work of God that breaks through. And this is what Paul is really emphasizing here. And this is what we need to emphasize to people. They, they need to understand no matter how hardened they are, no matter how lost they are, no matter how much in darkness they are, God can reach them. That God's grace is sufficient for them. Amen? That's important. And God initiates, and we must respond Appropriately, God makes the contact, but that must lead to conviction. And that's the next thing we see in verse 2, or the second point, where he says, I fell to the ground and I heard his voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, you know, why are you persecuting me? And, and I answered, why, you know, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So the the persecutor, the, 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 the guy that was just on top of his game, Mr. Saul at that time, writing, I always like to say, on his, on his high horse with all the right answers. And now he finds himself flat on his back. Up until that point, the Lord really didn't do anything. He just showed up. It was his presence, his glory. <laughs> Flat on the ground, Paul hears the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, 
the, the, the repetition of Saul's name, I believe, was a bit of a rebuke to him. It was intended to bring like, like anguish to his soul so that Saul then, Paul now, would realize how wrong he had been. And when he says, who are you, Lord? It was the, the realization that the one that he was running around telling everybody about, that he died on a cross indeed, but then he was buried and the disciples stole his body, as was the common lie of that day, he realized he did raise from the dead and that he was alive. Paul saw his glory and heard his voice. First Corinthians 15, as we go through that account, he's like, I actually saw him. The Jewish mob listening here in the temple courts no doubt would have believed that official report. That Jesus of Nazareth was an imposter. Yeah, he died on a cross for that reason. An insurrectionist and whatnot. And his disciples came and stole his body and all of that. And so Paul is now saying, no, 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 no. He is actually alive. I heard him. I saw him. In Acts chapter 9, it talks about how he was trembling before Jesus. That's evidence that he was deeply deeply convicted. We noted that that was like the midnight of his soul. Before Paul was made a saint, he had to come to the awareness, the deep conviction that he was a sinner, that he was a sinner. He had sinned against Christ. A humbling conviction of sinning against Christ is a necessary step towards conversion. Those who go to hell do so ultimately because of the rejection of the Savior. Jesus said in John 16, 9, the Holy Spirit would convict men concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Yesterday we were honoring the life of Jesse Rodriguez and, and very decorated Korean war veteran, served our country well, served his family well, and served the body of Christ here well. And because of, of who Jesse was. There was a, a large representation of, of veterans. And as I walked around in the room, they, they all have their cool hats on, their medals, and it was a very honorable service in that regard. And so before, you know, I'm with the family, and we're praying, and I kind of looked back out, and I walked around, and I realized, wow, the, these people are, the Korean War veterans, they're all up in their upper 70s and in, in, in well, upper 80s, excuse me, now, and, and this, this might be kind of like, for some of them, the last time they might, they might hear the gospel. And so as I, I, I commonly will do, I, I never really try to be real scripted in, in, in my teaching in those settings, in those, but I do teach the Word of God, and I want them to know everything that I'm going to say is the Word of God, and, and I, I, I just had a moment, man, I, I, I just... My heart was so heavy for these guys. I respect them. I appreciate them. I love our country, and I love for the freedoms that they fought for and all of that and, and whatnot. But, but when I look at them, I just, I just I felt like a little boy in front of his grandfather saying, please accept Jesus, man. And I don't know if they have or they haven't. I don't know if you have or you haven't. I'm assuming most of you that nod with me throughout the studies, you have and whatnot. But I don't know. And I just want to bring some humanity to this. 
I just want you to really, this is who Paul was. I, I believe that these insights that, that we have here, he was greatly inspired. Things that were coming out of me yesterday, I believe the Lord was just giving me his heart and in, inspiring me. And I believe that, that that needs to be part of it. May our giving our testimony never be some mundane, routine, you know, scripted thing. We always say it the same way, the same way. You know, it's all, may, may, may it be fresh revelation. May it be like, this is who Jesus is right now in my life. But let me tell you where that began. And it's important for people to understand that they're sinners. And in a world today where people don't want to be told that they're wrong about anything. Can I hear any man on that? Okay. If you didn't agree with me, you're wrong. And I just told you, and I'm okay with that. But really, we, we have this very thin-skinned thing right now. Don't touch anybody. Don't offend anybody. Don't blah, 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 right? It's just everyone's walking around. No, in love, people need to understand that they are sinners and in whom they've sinned against. And it's okay if it's in, in the first person, it's like, this is something I've learned. This is something that happened to me. This is really, he's, he's calling them to take the same steps he's taken, but he's just simply walking them through his own personal experience. And he's basically saying, I recognize Jesus as the Messiah. When I saw him, I said, who are you, Lord? This shows us that Paul knew this was the Lord reaching out to him. And when he, he said that, the Lord spoke to him. He's like, man, the Lord spoke to me. He just said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are, are, are persecuting. Up until now, Saul... Well, Paul, but Saul back then, refused to accept the resurrection of Jesus. He refused to accept it from Peter, from John, from, from Stephen and, and others. He refused to accept the testimonies of, of all of the changed lives of all the believers that he drug into prison and, and put to death. So Jesus gives Paul a personal look. Jesus is obviously alive and obviously who he claimed to be. And all of his buddies who were with him saw the light and, and, and they didn't hear the voice of him who, who spoke. I believe that's Paul's way of saying, this is for me, man. <laughs> this is my moment. And so when I asked him, you know, Lord, what should I do? And he said to me, you know, and he began to give me his direction. Right at that point, there was evidence of repentance. Repentance is part of conversion. In Peter's sermon there in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he called all the Jews that were gathered there as he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection on Solomon's porch, following the miracle and whatnot. He, he, he called them to repent and be converted so that their sins might be blotted out. And, and repent means to have a change of mind. It's more than just you know, feeling sorry for your sins, it means feeling sorry enough to quit, to turn from them. Repentance, true repentance, is admitting that what God says is true, and because it's true, to change our mind about our sins and, and about our Savior. So Paul had repented. 
And conversion has now taken place. Conversion is the expression of my will as I actually turn from my sin and I place my faith now in in Jesus to forgive me and, and to save me. Conversion in the Webster Dictionary says it's something that is changed from one use and function to another purpose or to another. William Barclay says, and I quote, conversion involves two things, turning from something and turning to something. C.S. Lewis said, every story of conversion is the story of a blessed defeat. Paul's you know, religion and his pride and his hatred and his, his self-driven agenda and his, all of that had to be defeated. And so the Savior now had conquered another soul and conquered all of that. It's no longer what does the Sanhedrin say, no longer what does the high priest say, what do they want me to do? It's now, Lord, what do you want me to do? Our good friend here, Dave Greer, I don't know if Dave's in here, but uh, this week he told me they were cleaning up some of the cabinets and stuff, and we have cabinets of, of old Bible studies. I, I think the, the old stuff is on, you know, tapes. We used to tell, get the tape, and then we graduated to get the DVD and you know, all that. And so we got all this archived, you know, VHS and all this stuff, and and I know it's hard to believe it, but I've been doing this for almost 30 years. So there's some old stuff. And, and Dave, was, he was going through it with some of our interns and young people. He, uh, he remembered the day he walked into our church at Valley View, and Jesus saved him. And he remembered the Bible study. He never forgot the Bible study in the book of Acts, somewhere around where we're at right here. And he found the tape. And so he somehow recorded it on his phone, and he sent it to me. And he doesn't know this, but it jacked me up. It messed me up. Because sometimes you're going through Bible studies just like this. And maybe even with Paul standing there, just what good is going to come out of this? I mean, really, Lord, what good is going to come out of this? And then you, 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 you know, years later, I'm sure, and, and what, what, what are the conversations going to be like with Paul the Apostle in heaven? And he's going to say over and over, man, that was worth it. I had no idea. And I was listening. I, I don't listen to my own studies. It just gets weird and all this and try and correct this, correct that. So I just, I don't listen to them. But... I listened to part of that one, and I'm like, man, that guy was young. <laughs> and I, I don't say this in a, in a I, I say this in, in a humble way. Please hear me. Whoever I was listening to absolutely was talking about something that had happened to him. I could pick that up. And he believed in what he was saying. And what jacked me up is I just sat down and I thanked the Lord. 30 years later, I still believe in him. And 30 years later, I'm still standing in front of these people, believing that you're honoring your word and that you're changing lives. It was just a good exercise for me, and you just got to, like, experience that too prayerfully. So he begins to talk about 
you know, his conversion. And the conviction there, the, the repentance there. And then, and then he, he says, and, and Jesus said some things to me. And this is important. He told me, verse 10, arise and go into Jerusalem. And there you're going to be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. And whenever God converts someone, he does so with consecration in mind. And, and, and the word consecration, if I'm just kind of having some fun with some words, but it refers to being separated from what you were now unto him for his purpose. And that's where you're going to find meaning and fulfillment in life. It's not in, in living out the, 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 the purpose and the plans of a movement or the purpose and the plans of a, of a church or the purpose and the plans of a, another person that's, you know, a leader. And you're, the, the, you're separated from whatever you were before Christ unto Christ for his purpose. And that's supreme. And, and that will, he, he does that. He with your marriage and your family and ministry and the church and the world that you're living in, in mind. But, but now he wants to be Lord and he wants to govern your life. And that's where Paul goes next, where he begins to talk about the process of that consecration. It doesn't necessarily happen overnight for everybody. And it would take some time for Paul to, to, to be alone with the Lord. That's why he was blinded there in Damascus. And and just the, the time of fasting and whatnot, to where he could just really, man, how wrong was I, you know, as he was set before the Lord, and how right you are, and how holy you are, and how, what is it, Lord, that you want me to be? He went through all of this. He talks about that in verse 11 through, through 16 and whatnot, where Ananias, you remember, in Damascus, who was probably one of the leaders of the church, would have been one that Paul would have been going to incarcerate or to possibly terminate or whatnot. But the Lord had came to Ananias and, and said, you need to go to this guy and you need to tell him some things. And he was very you know, reluctant at first because he knew Paul or Saul at that time's um, reputation. He, he knew that he could lose his life, and, but, but, but he did come and he was you know, faithful. And Paul's going to say when this guy came that I, I received my sight. And, and, and he said to me in verse 14 here, the God of our fathers has chosen you. And I just look at that and I'm like, wow, like, we've all got that about our testimony that God has, has chosen us. And, and, and he's like, and, and for Paul, it was to, to know his will. How important is that? To know his will. And to see the just one, his, his son, and to hear the voice of his mouth. For you're going to be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. We're, we're all a witness. to, And we, we tell people about what we see and we hear. But for Paul, it had been previously all about what he had learned in in, in under Judaism and all of his accomplishments. That's what, that was the witness of his life. But that was completely no longer the witness of his life. Now it would be all around about the just one, about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. And you're going to like, you're going to go out and, 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 and that's going to be your life. You're going to tell people about him. 
And then he, he took me and, and he baptized me in, in water. And, and when these Jews there heard all of this, they would have went, well, we baptize our own as well. And that's like a way of associating with, with your conversion and with those people that are baptizing you and, and, and all of that. And then in verse 17, he, he begins to talk about when he would return finally return to Jerusalem. And we went through all of that account. But he says, when I finally was in, remember, in Damascus for probably, you know, a few days, and he went to the Arabian Desert for three years, and then back to Damascus where he would minister for a short while, then finally he would come to Jerusalem. He's referring to that particular point in time in his ministry. I was praying there in the temple. I was in a trance, and I saw him saying to me, the Lord appeared to me again. He's like, hey, get out of here. Get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they're not going to receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was the one there. I was part of the whole hierarchy of Judaism, consenting to his death and even guarding his clothes as they killed him. And he said, depart. For I will send you far from here to the, the Gentiles. And um, when they heard that, they listened to him until that God-forsaken word, Gentiles. And they raised their voices. Away with such a fellow from the earth. And what do they say? For he is not fit to live. Anybody who dares place Gentiles on an equal footing with us Jews and God's saving purpose through the, Jew, through the Jewish nation should, should not be allowed to pollute the earth with this present. This guy needs to go. And then verse 23, then as they cried out and tore their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging. <laughs> Whoa, man, this is, this is getting really intense. So that he might know why they shouted so against him and as they bound him with, with these thongs. And so overcome with rage, they tear their clothes, they throw dust into the air and, and as all of this is going on, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, listen, bro, is it, is it lawful to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And, and they had, of course, not understood Paul to be a Roman. They, they, they knew all this happened in the temple. They assumed he was just this, this Hebrew guy and he wasn't a Roman citizen and one not. And when the centurion hears this, you know, he went out and told the commander, Hey, 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 wait, wait, take care of what you do here. This guy's a Roman. And the commander came and said, tell me, are, are you a Roman? He's like, well, well, yeah, yeah, I am. And, and the commander then in verse 28 answered with, you know, a large sum of money I obtained my citizenship. Oh, those are my, my bragging rights. You know, I was kind of bribed my way into becoming a, a Roman citizen. And Paul said, well, no, 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 that, that's not the game I played. I was born that way. And my dad was a Roman. So, oh, oh, oh. Immediately, in verse 29, those who were about to examine him, they, they backed off. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman 
because he had, you know, bound him. He realized, man, I may, might be violating Roman law myself here. This is going to be a big, big problem for me. But understand God was not done with Paul. This was part of Paul's journey. It was part of Paul's mission. Jesus had told Ananias, when you go to Paul and tell him about what he's going to be doing for me and witnessing for me and bearing my name, let him know he's also going to be suffering many things for my name's sake. That's the purpose. He's not just suffering needlessly. No, he is going to go through all of this for my name's sake. It might not in the moment look like a lot is like really being accomplished for advancing the kingdom of God, but Paul is going to just like stay the course and continue to bear the name of Jesus Christ irregardless of the circumstances. But we see God here. God was using the great power of the great Roman Empire to protect his servant and to eventually get him to Rome. The next day, verse 30, Paul's still alive because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews. He released him from his bonds. So he was tied up to be scourged, no longer going to scourge him, releases him and commands the chief priest and all the council to appear. And so they bring Paul down and they set him before them. And so this is almost like Pilate with Jesus, isn't it? Like, oh, 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 he's, this is kind of not my deal anymore. I almost got caught up in something I couldn't get out of here. And he found out, okay, you're, this sounds like the temple and, and you, you speak Aramaic and you're, you're talking. This sounds like maybe the hierarchy of Judaism, the Supreme Court. We can get the Sanhedrin together of the Jewish faith and they can, they can deal with, with all of that. And then we're going we're gonna to move forward, not today because we're running out of time and I see the zero, but we're going to move forward next week and hear what Paul has to say. And I think you get the idea of, of how God puts Paul in these very crazy situations none of us would like to be in, but Paul continues to just be moved by the heart of God. For you note-takers, just a couple of things to maybe write down. His conduct through this ordeal is a great example for all of us to to follow and how we can give a very positive message in very opposing, challenging circumstances. Number one, I believe that, that Paul accepted every situation he was in as God ordained. He didn't waver because he saw these circumstances as God ordained. Secondly, he saw opposition always as opportunity. And then, just look at his behavior again. He was very, very collected and peaceful towards his persecutors. That's important. And through the whole thing, we've touched on this, he exalted the Lord and then as I look at this, I think of the love. The, you know, he, he, he just maintained the proper attitude of, of love. Why was he there in Jerusalem? Love for the believers brought him there. Remember, he was bringing a love offering that he collected from, you know, the Gentile churches. I'm bringing it here because I just love these people. It was his love for his 
weaker brethren and desire for unity that brought him to the temple. God, I just don't want to offend my bros. I, all right. I love them enough. I'll, I'll, I'll take this vow. And then it was his love for his countrymen that led him to stand up in front of people wanting him dead and just share Jesus with them. It was his love for God that motivated his love for people. And then I'm just going to say this. I, I, I just felt like I needed to write this in my notes. Paul used his citizenship for the cause of Christ. Let's stand. We might better say that God used his citizenship for his cause. Can, is, is that okay to say? Oh, okay, just checking. The purpose of my citizenship. Hmm. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this example that we have here in the life of Paul the Apostle. We've <laughs> looked at him go through some pretty crazy things, and he'll continue to go through some very crazy things that we would say, please, Lord, not me. But we can learn so much from this. And we would ask as we walk out of this building into what we would see as a modern-day Roman Empire that is very anti-you, Father. A world that so desperately needs to hear about your Son. A world that so desperately needs to see your love on display towards them. A world that needs to see redemption on display and transformation on display. May we be all in. For any here that have never given their life to Jesus, some Mead's going to play this last song again. And as we're playing this, if, if you need prayer here in this room, I'm going to ask some of our leaders to come up front here and stand with you, and they'll pray with you. You need to accept the Lord, come here. But online, if, as we're singing here, if you're not a believer, just cry out to the Lord and confess to him that you're a sinner and profess to Jesus that you believe he's God and that he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead and ask him to come into your life and forgive you and he and he will let's worship the lord this last song together